to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, we continue our study of Ezekiel after a couple of weeks break for Palm Sunday and Easter. Ezekiel chapter 34, a chapter that's often entitled Corrupt Shepherds. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. 
I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide. Because of the uh, recent uprisings in the Middle East, the attention of the world has been focused on the incredible oppression and corruption of certain tyrannical dictators. Now, there's Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, for example. Uh, he has untold wealth. They squirreled around, uh, squirreled away in uh, Swiss bank accounts and luxurious real estate holdings in London and New York. His net worth is estimated to be in the realm of sixty billion dollars. This is in a country where half the population lives on two dollars a day or less. And the same is true of Muammar Gaddafi. He has amassed incredible riches, again, in the billions of dollars, while at the same time he has made Libya the most censored country in the Middle East, in North Africa, engaging in political conversations with foreigners is a crime punishable by three years in prison. Uh, schools aren't even allowed to teach foreign languages. The regime has often executed dissidents publicly and executions are rebroadcast on state television. It's no wonder that finally the people have risen up and they have said enough. And with great courage and at great cost, masses of common people have dared to stand against these tyrants who have exploited their positions of power for their own personal gain. And in our passage this morning, we hear that same enough. But this time, it comes not from an angry populace, but it comes from an angry God. The Lord God of Israel, he won't let anyone off the hook and he calls all humanity to account before his throne of judgment. But the Lord God of Israel holds certain people especially responsible for their actions. Namely, those who are put in positions of power and are supposed to act as his agents in governing his people. He calls them in this passage the shepherds of Israel. He addresses them here as corrupt and self-serving shepherds who fleece the sheep for their own benefit. And now the time had come for them to be held to account. So who are these shepherds? Now, I think we're so used to associating the term shepherd with uh, spiritual leaders like priests and pastors that we miss the primary reference here. He's talking about Israel's kings. 
I say that because the metaphor of shepherd for kingship was well known throughout the ancient Near East. From Babylon to Egypt, the king was viewed as the shepherd of his people. In one document from well before this time, the Babylonian king Hammurabi described himself as the shepherd who brings salvation and whose staff is righteous. And when the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron to make him their king, the basis of their action was the Lord's declaration concerning David in 2 Samuel 5, 2. You will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. You see, David just happened to have been a literal shepherd before he became a metaphorical shepherd as Israel's king. You see, these shepherds, these kings of Israel were to exercise God's authority over God's people. But in the history of Israel, chronicled in the biblical books of history, which were probably being compiled uh, soon after the time that Ezekiel was prophesying, these books reveal how poorly these kings had done what God had appointed them to do. Now, the story of the kings of Israel is a sorry tale of state-sponsored idolatry and injustice and social collapse. I think of Manasseh, king of Judah, of whom we read in 2 Kings 21 that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Uh, He built altars to the starry hosts, we read, uh, even within the confines of the temple of the Lord. He practiced sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spiritists, and he, he sacrificed his own son in the fire, we read. The shepherds of Israel were these historical kings of the whole period leading up to this time of exile in which Ezekiel was prophesied. And in the first ten verses of our passage of Ezekiel 34, the prophet pronounces words of judgment against these kings. He gives us a picture of the ruthless exploitation of power in blatant self-interest. The Lord said to Ezekiel in chapter 34, verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You see, these shepherds were fleecing the sheep for their own gain. Verse 3, you eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. I mean, the shepherds were taking care of the flock. Uh, they, They weren't taking care of the flock, they were taking care of themselves. They were fattening their pocketbooks at public expense. And notice, too, what they failed to do. Verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. These same words are, are used to describe the way Pharaoh had treated the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. And now this is what the kings of Israel were doing to God's own people. And so the people were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And those wild animals were, of course, the invading armies of the Babylonians who had scattered the sheep of Israel into exile. The people suffer, you see, because of the corruption of their leaders. It's a sad reality of life. The people were, as the saying goes, like sheep without a shepherd. 
Verse 9, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. Enough, the Lord says. Enough. And here is an assertion of the responsibility of leadership. Those who have given, been given positions of authority by God will be held accountable to God. And this is certainly true of spiritual leaders in the context of the church. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we read, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. They will be held responsible for their leadership. And this is also true in civil, of civil leaders in government, whether here or elsewhere. Uh, even if they're not leaders of the people of God, the, the king of Babylon as well as the king of Israel would be held accountable. And as we think of our own national day of prayer this week, let us pray that our leaders will recognize that we are, in fact, a nation under God. That doesn't mean we're a Christian nation. No, what it means is that we are a nation under the judgment of God. And for that reason, our leaders will be held accountable to God for the way they have used their office, which has been appointed to them ultimately by God himself. And those who use their positions for their own gain and not for the common good will find that they have lost their own souls. And those who disregard the needs of the weak and the poor and the vulnerable will one day discover that they have been disregarded by God. God will judge the shepherds of Israel, Ezekiel says. He will judge all those put in positions of authority. Here in this word of judgment, here the Lord at the same time affirms his love and concern for these sheep, for they are his flock. That expression, my sheep, my flock, it occurs 15 times in this chapter. These shepherds did not own these sheep. These shepherds were simply stewards of what God had entrusted to their care. But these shepherds had become like wolves. And the people needed rescuing from their own shepherds. And rescue is exactly what the Lord promises them in verses 11 to 22 of our passage. For the Lord God is Israel's true king. He is their true shepherd. And he will act to restore his rightful rule over his flock. Verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. The mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Verse 22, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. Did you hear that? I will. I myself will. I will. God himself will do what his appointed shepherds did not do. 
He will be the shepherd of His people. And notice that when He comes, He will shepherd in mercy. He will care for those in need. Verse 16, I will search for the lost. Bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. Strengthen the weak. The Lord will show a special concern for those in need. But notice too, this is not just a, a, a sentimental mercy. Though He will strengthen the weak, He says, the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. For in addition to to judging the corrupt shepherds, he will also judge between one sheep and another, he says, between the rams and the goats. Verse 20, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you drive them away. I will judge between one sheep and another. Think about the rams butting heads, vying over the, 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 the grazing lands and so forth. And this is the way it works in a fallen world, isn't it? It's a good picture of human life. The strong exploit the weak. They bully them. They exercise their power such that the structures of society and the laws that are passed tend to favor their interests. That's the way it works. Only the strong survive. That's the way it is in the world of nature, isn't it? The strong rams, the fat sheep, they butt the weak sheep with their horns. They drive them away. And who cares what happens to them? It doesn't matter. They may be left out alone to die. Tough luck. The laws of nature, isn't it? It's the way it works. But that's not the way it's supposed to be among human beings. At least not in a society under God's rule. God's justice, you'll see. It includes mercy. It includes compassion. It is more than a strict meritocracy, the survival of the fittest, where the strong rule the weak to their own advantage and for their own gain. That's not how it is in God's kingdom. Verse 22, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. The Lord promises to rescue his sheep and when he does, he will bring blessing. Verse 26, I will bless them. Verse 27, there will be showers of blessing. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Showers of blessing. Verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them, he says. He will give them his shalom, the peace of God, that well-being that encompasses all of life. And in that covenant of peace, there will be safety and security. Verse 28, they will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety. No one will make them afraid. Verse 27, the people will be secure in their land. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world without fear? And in that covenant of peace, there will be prosperity. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. They will no longer be victims of famine in the land. You see, this is language that reflects the the reversal of the curses that had been put on the people because they had broken the covenant. That covenant relationship with God would be restored. Which meant that more than anything else, In this covenant of peace, there would be new spiritual life, a new knowledge of God, 
Verse 27, they will know that I am the Lord. In verse 30, then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. These sheep will know their true shepherd. These are words of pure grace. Pure grace given to Ezekiel's audience. I mean, when Ezekiel addressed these people, they were in exile themselves. They'd been cut off from their homeland. They were living as refugees. In fact, they just received news that Jerusalem had been conquered after a two, nearly two-year-long siege. The temple of God itself had been burned to the ground. They were devastated. But this, this Ezekiel assures them, all of this, it's not, it's not because God had abandoned them. No, He hadn't abandoned them. He had judged them, yes. But when they turned to their God in repentance, when they turned to Him in faith, when they look at the truth and appreciate the truth and respond to the truth, then there will be grace. The mercy of God will be poured out on them as He stands ready to bless them abundantly. And the Lord their God would again restore them as a good shepherd leading them into green pastures beside quiet waters. So when will this be? How will this happen? For that, we have this very interesting and enigmatic word in verse 23. Look at that. Verse 23, the Lord says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, who could this be? The Davidic monarchy had come to an end at the exile. When the Jews returned to their homeland, they tried to bring it back, but they never could. But you see, God's promises to David constituted a, a covenant promise forever. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord had said to King David, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And here in Ezekiel 34, that promise is affirmed. God would be faithful to His promise to David. But how could that be? Who is this shepherd then, this king, this servant of the Lord who would stand in the place of the Lord Himself intending God's flock and leading them into this age of great blessing? Well, it was this promise that came alive nearly six centuries later. You know the story. Magi from the east were following a star. They came to Jerusalem to King Herod looking for the one who had been born king of the Jews. And Herod's priest told them that the prophets had foretold that out of Bethlehem, the city of David, would come a ruler who would shepherd Israel. And it was surely to this promise of Ezekiel chapter 34 that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, was referring when he said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And in the light of our passage in Ezekiel, you, can you appreciate the astounding claim that Jesus is making when he says these words, I am the good shepherd. 
At the very least, you see, it's a claim to kingship, which is a dangerous thing to do when there's already a king on the throne. But when you, when you look at it more closely, it's even more than that. I am the good shepherd, he says. I'm not like the ones who have come before. Those thieves and robbers, those corrupt shepherds who fleece the sheep for their own gain. He says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Can it be any clearer? Remember back Ezekiel 34, verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and he will tend them and be their shepherd. Can you see why Jesus aroused such controversy? I mean, we read later in that very same chapter in John's gospel, verse 24, the Jews gathered around Jesus saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised deliverer of Israel, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you did not believe. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And isn't that exactly where the passage in Ezekiel leads us? All the kings the Lord had given Israel, even David himself, they had all failed to lead his people in righteousness and justice. They'd all fallen short. For you see, they've all been subject to the tyranny of sin in their own lives. Which had led to their own judgment and to the judgment of Jerusalem and even to the destruction of the temple of the Lord. So if the Lord was to rescue his people, you see, he must do it himself. And the true Davidic king, this good and true shepherd who will save his people, he must himself be sent from God. He must himself be one with God. He himself must be Emmanuel. God with us. And Jesus, he is that one true shepherd who gathers not just the scattered tribes of Israel, but God's scattered people from among the Gentiles, uniting them into one new flock, one new people under one new and glorious shepherd. In Jesus, God has come to rescue his people. Jesus himself said that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He looked on, with compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. And when Jesus came as that good shepherd to shepherd the people of God, he came first in mercy. As he began his ministry, Jesus used the words of the prophet Isaiah to de declare of himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus gave of himself to those in need, the sick, the lame, the deaf, the blind. He set free those oppressed by demonic forces. He dared to eat with tax collectors and prostitutes. He reached out. He touched the lepers and healed them. He declared that it's not the, the, not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. And that He'd come not to minister to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. He announced the time of God's favor. He embodied the mercy of that good shepherd who came to seek out the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in that process, he came to introduce a new covenant. We'll talk about this more next week, but here it's referred to as the covenant of peace. He came to bring us peace with God. Peace with God by his death on a cross. He came to rescue us, not from the political oppressors, not yet at least. He came to rescue us from our slavery to sin. And by His Spirit, he, he offers to give us a new heart. And He came to send down those showers of blessing that are ours as His followers. The blessings of forgiveness. The blessing of new life. The blessing of being adopted into God's family as His sons and His daughters. And Paul says that in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And Jesus, as our good shepherd, came to give us the, the safety and the security of knowing that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He shows us that perfect love that casts out fear. For in the end, you see, we have nothing to fear. For in His resurrection, our good shepherd has overcome our last enemy, death itself. Jesus, our good shepherd, in his mercy, has inaugurated this new covenant of peace. But I want you to see also that one day, this shepherd, he will also come in judgment. He tells us that when he comes in his heavenly glory with all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the one will go to eternal punishment and the other to righteousness in eternal life. And at that time, he will usher in a new age, a time of peace and prosperity such as this world has never known and He will bring all of God's saving purposes to their perfect consummation when He comes in glory, gathering all His people to Himself forever. And as we read in the book of Revelation, the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lamb 
the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will be our shepherd. Now we Americans, we may like a royal wedding, but we've never been much for kings. I think we're distrustful of anyone having that kind of authority over us. The irony, of course, is that though we think we are free, we're really not. And we enjoy political freedom, that's true, but but morally, spiritually, we're slaves. Slaves to our own selfish and self-centered desires which, which hold us captive to our own lusts. And we set up idols and we bow before them thinking that they will give us happiness and satisfaction and and the significance that we crave. But like too many politicians, these idols cannot fulfill their empty promises. And our idols become the corrupt shepherds, the tyrannical kings, the thieves and robbers that come only to steal and kill and to destroy. But there is one king that we can trust. There is one shepherd whose voice we must follow. And this king is no tyrant. He's no desperate, selfishly using his power to his own advantage. No, he's he's a king. He's a shepherd who is also a lamb. A sacrificial lamb. One who lays down his life for his sheep and he rules from a cross. And so Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds.